Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, November 13th, 2014. know what to think about this program. <laughs> this program could be a serious uh, danger to your life. Some weird things today. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. And sadly, there is no shortage of bizarre, crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, sometimes laugh. Uh, open up our Bibles to see if what people are saying actually squares with what God's Word says. And uh, and so many times we find that uh, today's most popular pastors, authors, conference speakers, people put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, people that we need to be buying their books and listening to their lectures and sermons, that they don't rightly handle God's Word and they're not teaching the historic Christian faith. They're not teaching sound biblical doctrine. And so this is, uh, in a sense, it's an exercise in discernment, but also serves to warn the body of Christ and equip them so that they do not have to uh, fall for these uh, false teachers and be taken advantage of by them, uh, taken advantage of in money ways and also deceived and, you know, you can even say exploited spiritually. So let's... (laughs) Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Finding for the Faith. I'm cracking up because (laughs) we are going to go to glory of Zion today uh, for another edition of Prophecy Open Mic. And (laughs) this one is so weird. Um, Yeah, the name of the prophecy we'll be listening to is entitled uh, Fourth Dimension Breaker. And uh, this was delivered by uh, Mary Beth Grayson. Uh, of uh, Glory of Zion out there in Texas, and uh, <laughs> it's just so weird. But uh, we'll be listening to that. You know, we like to you know tune in to the latest and greatest prophecies that are coming out there by people claiming to you know have the gifts of, of prophecy. And of course, you know, Glory of Zion is one of these churches that claims that you know they traffic in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That, that you know they believe that that the you know that these uh, long dormant gifts in the body of Christ have somehow shown up in these uh, final days, and they think that these are true manifestations of God the Holy Spirit. 
And in reality, they are anything but. Then we're going to head over to the Patricia King gang at XP Media. And um, we're going to be listening to Linny Walker. It's been a while since we've heard from her. And she's going to talk about her miracle box. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I see. I saw a lot of you. You know. You know. In my uh, in my spirit, I saw you. Uh, <laughs> no, no more like my imagination. But I saw you all out there going, "What? Yeah, it's it's so. Um, yeah. It, it, do you have a miracle box? I, you know, maybe this is an important thing that we we all need to uh, get for ourselves is a miracle box. So uh, we're going to uh, listen to this thing that she's uh, doing, and then we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to do part two. Uh, of our uh, Perry Noble update, uh, listening to his leadership podcast, where he's talking about the four phases of effective vision. Of course, you know, we've been asking the question uh, in uh, segment one, it, where is any of this taught in Scripture? And uh, today we're going to kind of ask the question, why should a church base their ecclesiology on Perry Noble's personal experiences. I, I think that's a good way to put this. I think a good way to talk about it. And uh, then in hour number two, we're going to head over to Audacious Church in Manchester in the U- in the United Kingdom and listen to a sermon about being blessed to increase. And, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, from the word go, very first scripture mentioned and somewhat read was twisted, kind of exegetical squirrel uh, fashion. And uh, and so nothing good can happen from this uh, type of uh, Bible twisting technique. Another, By the way, Audacious Church is another one of these churches claiming to traffic in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And why is it that the most prominent church is claiming to traffic in the uh, modern-day manifestations of the Holy Spirit? They can't handle a biblical text correctly. Why would God the Holy Spirit manifest in in these churches uh, when the pastors are not being faithful to what God's Word actually says? I think that's a fair question. So that's going to be our uh, program today. And uh, since we're, you know, the the (laughs) first two segments of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith could uh, cause whiplash, I think we are, well, it behooves us to play our standard uh, warning. So here we go. What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. Laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 Brain. That's our new Apostolic Reformation update. Now, if you're not familiar as to why we play that music, well, it's because uh, part of the new Apostolic Reformation is this eschatological belief that uh, we've got to take over the world, if you would, you know, conquer the seven mountains and uh, bring the kingdom of God to earth and make the bride perfect for the bridegroom, and then Jesus will return. That's kind of a big piece of 
uh, the New Apostolic Reformation. And Chuck Pierce is one of the apostles of the New Apostolic Reformation. There's like 12 of them around the world, and Chuck Pierce is supposedly an apostle and a prophet, too. And so what we're going to be listening to is actually from his church, Glory of Zion, out in Texas. And we're going to be listening to another installment of Prophecy Open Mic. And uh, this particular prophecy is all about fourth dimension breaking. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but without any further ado, here is Mary Beth Grayson uh, talking about the fourth dimension breaking prophecy that she's supposedly channeling, receiving from God the Holy Spirit during Prophecy Open Mic there at Gloria Zion. Here we go. I hear the Lord saying that I am the breaker of the fourth dimension of your faith. and I Breaker of the fourth dimension of my faith. Wow. I didn't know it needed breaking. You to the breaking point. No more could Abraham and Sarah stay in that dimension when I said you shall bring forth a child when your body are dead. It's like a runner who is running and running. He comes to the place where his legs are like lead and there's no more breath in his lungs. So it's like a runner who's no more breath in his lungs. His legs are like lead, maybe running a marathon kind of thing. And then what happens? And he thinks he can't take one more step. And he hits a wall. He hits a wall. Oh, that's going to be terrible. And what happens when a runner who can't take another step, who has no breath, hits a wall? What happens to him? He hits a brick wall and he breaks through. He breaks through and the breath comes into him. (laughs) Never seen that happen before. (laughs) So a runner... It's it's the breaker of the fourth dimension thingy. And so, you know, he's running, he's exhausted, he's tired, and there's a brick wall, and he decides to just, you know, with what le- whatever he has left, just run at the brick wall. <laughs> and then he breaks through. No way. And all of a sudden, there's all this energy in his legs, and he feels like he can go forever. And the Lord says, I am that breaker of faith, and I have brought you to the breaking point. That's why you can't. So God's going to break you through the fourth dimension brick wall. I'm, yeah, man, we've been waiting for this to happen for, you know, millennia. Into the fourth dimension of your faith, where you shall see and you shall hear. And all of those things, just like the runner, all of those absences will come into line with the fourth dimension. And you will speak the words that I have stored up in my book since the ancient of days wrote them. There you go. So God's going to be breaking people through the fourth dimension. I mean, wow, what a blessing. Like I said, we've been waiting for millennia for that to happen. I mean, and it's about time, too. Yeah. I I have no idea what, what it is that we just heard. 
Um, I'm 100% certain, though, not even 99.9, 100% certain that that had nothing to do with God the Holy Spirit. Moving along. All right, so um, do you have a miracle box? I know it's kind of a personal question. I mean, but uh, we're going to be listening to Lenny Walker um, from the Patricia King gang. And the name of the video is My Miracle Box. My Miracle Box. So um, I'm not sure where any of this is taught in Scripture. I'm pretty sure it isn't. But uh, here's Lenny Walker to explain the My Miracle Box concept to us all. Here we go. My name is Lenny Walker, and I'm here at our Dunamis Training Center in Las Vegas. And I just wanted to share something with you that the Lord uh, spoke to me one day when I was seeking him. So this is based on a supposed direct revelation from God the Holy Spirit. Right, okay. And um, it's about my miracle box. Your miracle box. I, yeah, no idea what that means. I mean, do I have a miracle box? I mean... How big is this miracle box? And, you know, since God is afraid of the box and doesn't want to be put in the box, I mean, this is kind of a little bit awkward. You know what I'm saying? And it started when I was reading the Word of God one day yeah. in 2 Kings 3, 1 through 19. 2 Kings 3, 1 through 19. The story of the ditches? Hmm. And I'm just going to tell you about part of it, and then I'll read to you a few of the verses. Oh, go ahead. Israel was getting ready to be attacked by an enemy nation. And they didn't know what to do. They would, and so they cried out to God, and they thought, "Is there a prophet of the Lord somewhere where we can inquire what to do?" And so I just want to read a few of these verses in Second Kings three, verses fifteen through seventeen. Yeah, um, I, I don't recall the story of Elisha and the ditches having anything to do with miracle boxes. They remember that they had. We're inquiring of Elisha the prophet. Yeah. And he said, But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Isn't that interesting that while music was being played on a harp, that he was able to hear the voice of the Lord. And So Elisha was using the sappy music technique used by the uh, Seeker Driven guys? Yeah, I don't think so. There's a lot of people that... That helps them hear the voice of the Lord when there is soaking music or just calm music put on so they can tune in to hear what God is saying. Oh, boy. (laughs) And the Lord said to Elisha, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. Now, let me just tell you what had been happening. Okay. They were just so fearful, the children of Israel were, the people of Israel, that they were getting ready to be attacked by these enemy nations. Yeah, it's still, um, I didn't recall you reading anything about any miracle boxes. That it got to the point that they were going thirsty. They didn't have enough water to drink, um, and they were just in terror. But then the Lord spoke this word, dig ditches. And prepare for your miracle. And as they dug the ditches, yeah, are, are you are you in that story? I'm not in that story. I mean, how long ago did that thing happen? Um, just because you read it in your Bible, this is a historical narrative, doesn't mean anything. At least 
you know, that somehow God's telling you to allegorically dig ditches or anything like that because he's about to work a miracle in your life. It doesn't work that way. Sure enough, they be, it began to fill supernaturally with water, which provided the water that they needed to drink. And at the same time, the enemy nations that were hiding, they looked in the valley and they saw that these ditches were filled with something and they thought it was blood and they thought, oh, the Israelites have killed each other. So it drew them out. And when it drew them out, then the uh, Israelites were able to see them and um, attack them and destroy them. And it's all symbolic for us. Um, mm, so this is all symbolic for us. So this symbolizes something about miracle boxes. These stories in the Old Testament, they really did happen. But, of course, things have changed now since Jesus came and redeemed us. From the New Testament on, by his blood, he died on the cross, and things have changed, and there's mercy and grace extended to the whole world. But it's a symbolic story for us in that when we listen to God, catch the initiatives of heaven like we talk about here at Dunamis. Catch the initiatives of heaven. Catch them. Do you need an initiative catcher, like, you know, a dream catcher, or do you need, like, a catcher's mitt? How do you catch these initiatives? That means... See what God says to do, hear what he says to say, and then just copy that on earth, and it brings <laughs> uh-huh. the miracle from heaven. Yeah, and then it releases a miracle. And which biblical text teaches this technique for releasing miracles from heaven? So the word of the Lord came through Elisha, dig ditches and yeah. watch your miracle come. Right on. And so this water uh, filled, and not only did it quench their thirst, but it caused a victory over the enemy. And so I was asking the Lord, Lord, how can I dig a ditch? With a shovel, of course. I mean, you know, if you want to do that, you just grab a shovel, you go in the backyard and knock yourself out, you know. Uh, Of miracles for my life. Dig a ditch of miracles. Yeah, you see, this, this biblical text isn't teaching us to dig miracle ditches. Yeah, that's not actually what it's saying. And he gave me a specific instruction, which we call an initiative from heaven. So you caught one of those uh, heavenly initiatives. Yeah, again, what do you use to catch those with again? And so I caught this initiative from heaven, and he, and he said, I want you to find a shoebox. So this is what I found in my house. Uh, so God told you to get a shoebox. Right. I had one shoebox. And the cool thing is it said agape on it, which is the which is God. Um, and he said, I want you to start writing on sticky notes every time I bring a blessing or a miracle your way, and I want you to put it in your ditch, in your box. So a shoebox is now a ditch. Got it. And it will multiply. It, it will multiply, really. How many of these... Uh, Miracle boxes will you have at the end of all of this? I mean, they're so useful, you know. And so I began to just write down everything I was thankful for. To just begin to be thankful for the things that God has brought my way. And I started filling up my box full of thank yous. And and it seemed to multiply. I was starting to get more and more miracles coming my way, answers to prayer. Many times I think that we complain too much, and we need to learn to be thankful. Yeah, that's what Joel Osteen and uh, Joyce Meyer say, you know. And so what I 
say to you that there's four ways that you can dig your miracle ditch. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Why does anyone think that this is actually sound doctrine? God's word is not teaching you to dig a miracle ditch. Or have your miracle box, as I did. And the first way is to catch the initiative of heaven. Yeah, you just catch that initiative. You know, those initiatives are shooting across the sky. You need to learn how to catch them. Just listen to God's voice for every situation you're in and do exactly what he says. Cry out to God, get quiet, listen, and do what he says. How about open up your Bible, read it, and then do what it says? How's that? And the, uh, another way is to embrace the breakings of the Lord. I- embrace the what? The, the the breakings of the Lord? Are these related to the fourth dimension breaker thing where the runner runs into the brick wall and then rather than, you know, like bounce on back and hit the pavement in a, in a bloody mess, he breaks through the... Is that what this you're talking about? There's a verse in Hosea that yeah. says to dig up the ground, dig up your fallow ground. In other words, the Lord is breaking up the hard things in our lives, in our hearts that God wants to change. He wants to bring character changes in our lives yeah i mean if god's going to be digging up any hard ground in your life uh lenny i think that would be the hard ground that uh, you uh have created due to the fact that you do not listen to what god's written word says and are chasing after these false doctrines that you think are being laid in your heart via these initiatives that you're catching from heaven you know and it's through the breakings that happen in uh, throughout just everyday living and when we run to the Lord and we say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I want to learn it right now. And you embrace the breakings of the Lord. you, you got to embrace the breakings via the initiatives, you know, with the, the ditches that you dig with the shoebox. Then it brings miracles and changes our way. Uh-huh. Another way. So miracles will come when you follow this new, never-before-revealed doctrine given to uh, Lenny Walker of Dunamis Ministries via an initiative that she caught. To bring miracles into our life is just learn to be thankful. Just thank him for everything. The word says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Just thank him for for just the breath um, that we breathe and for living in the house that we have, um, just for family. And, and then you can go from there to supernatural things that happen. And begin to thank him. Fill your box, so to speak, or whatever the Lord has for you, with thanksgiving for miracles that come your way. And the fourth thing is give testimony. Share with other people. Yeah, where is this list of four things found in the Bible? Again, I'm not familiar with this list. People about what God is doing. You know, in Revelations 12, it says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that is one way that we can overcome in life is just learn to be thankful, give testimony. And in Revelations, it also says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Yeah, testimony of Jesus. Where will we find that? Oh, you know where we find that? In the four Gospels. The more you give thanks for what Jesus is doing the more it will draw more miracles your way. Uh This sounds a lot like the uh, Joel Osteen false doctrine that we heard last week. So there you go. I mean, um, do you have a miracle box? I mean, you know, it's, of course, loosely based upon the concept of digging ditches (sighs) from (laughs) Second Kings. Yeah, it's, um, wow. And the, the sad part is that there are people 
who literally think that this is, well, sound biblical doctrine, that this is a direct revelation from God, and that this is what God wants us to believe and to do. And the the reality of the situation is, is that nothing could be further from the truth. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, uh, part two, uh, listening to uh, Perry Noble wax eloquent about vision casting and the four phases of effective vision, which are found nowhere in the Bible. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to apologize to all of our listeners. Normally, we do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances in the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit and we saw 12 people heal the word of knowledge and 40 healed during the Holy Ghost hokey pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do a little Holy Ghost hokey pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost hokey pokey. You can... Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in. Your right hand out, you put it in and you shake it and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. Put it in and you shake it and you shake it all about. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. Oh, you put your left foot in, put your left foot out. You put your left foot in, you put your left foot out. Put your left foot in, put your left foot out. Put it in, and you shake it. Shake it all about. You take your whole self in. You shake your whole self out. Come on, do it. Put your whole self out. Put your whole self out. Put your whole self in. Put your whole self out. Now jump in, jump in, and shake it all out. 
doing the hokey pokey at first with the arms, uh, nothing, nothing real effect. But then as soon as I just start, we start doing the whole, we'll put your left foot in, your right foot in, both of my knees, you know, one at a time. I could just feel all of a sudden it's like there was no pain. I said, and you said, start checking yourself. I just squat down. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for new knees in yes. Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. Um, I've had back problems most of my life, and a couple of we- about a week ago, my back had gone out, and it was somewhat better, but it was still sore uh, up until today. And when we did that hokey pokey, and she came up and testified, all the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, beware of false prophets claiming that you can catch initiatives of heaven. Yeah, uh, nowhere does the Bible teach these things. And by the way, vision casting is a form of this. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95. That's it. Every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Time for a Perry Noble update. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flare. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. 
I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flyer. There we go. That's our Perry Noble update music from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Okay, so uh, we're going to be listening to part two. We started this earlier in the week, and I wanted to come back to it. And uh, and we're going to kind of ask this question today as we listen to part three and four regarding the, or at least phase three and four of the four phases of effective vision. Um, here's the question I have. Why should I, as a pastor, um, change up the biblical ecclesiology and just jettison uh, what God's Word says my duties are as far as the office of pastor, what I should be doing as a pastor, and how the church should be organized just because uh, Perry Noble has um, you know well, uh, you know has had some life experiences that have helped him grow a flourishing mega church multi site out there in South Carolina is it is just because he pastors a large church I, that does that mean I should follow his life experiences and just jettison what God's word says regarding the pastoral office well um, here's uh, Perry Noble to explain phase three and four uh, of the four phases that are essential for effective vision here we go. That's really great. Well, let's move on to phase three. What is phase three? So phase three is it will happen. It will happen. So you go from it could or it should happen, number one, to it could happen, phase two, to phase number three, it will happen. Mm, phase three, it will happen. We pointed out on, uh, was it Monday that we did uh, part one of this? That uh, these four phases are nowhere found in the Bible. Weird. Um, so, um, okay, so now it will happen. Oh, it, it's going to, oh, it definitely is going to happen. So, yeah, um, mm, okay. Um, and this is, this, is the, this is the jumping off a cliff moment. Um, and I say this because. Yeah, I mean, didn't your mom used to say, you know, like, you know, if everybody in your class decided to jump off a cliff, would you jump off the cliff too? Um, yeah, that kind of the lemmings example. So, okay, so Perry Noble has allegorically jumped off of a cliff, and it resulted in a New Spring Church um, uh, entertainment venue for sure, where he does stand up comedy and kind of mix it mixes it with some you know life application Bible ish type teaching. Oh, and he twists God's word and falsely teaches uh, regarding tithing too. Um, but uh, that's a that's for another program but uh, so just because perry noble has jumped off of a cliff does that mean every pastor should jump off of a cliff too i was in a church parking lot one night having a conversation with uh, a, a gentleman by the name of jason wilson he's on our leadership team and i was talking to him about church and church planting and should we start the church or should we do the church and I remember him, I remember telling him, I remember him saying, Jason, I feel like we got a great group of people together. I feel like we've got some really good plans. We've talked about some good ideas, but I feel like we're all on the edge of a cliff and we're just waiting for something to happen. And I don't know what we're waiting for. And I never will forget him looking at me and that he said, we're all waiting on you to jump because as soon as you jump, we're jumping with you. Mm-hmm. So Perry Noble jumped off a cliff. So every other pastor should jump off of a cliff too. And I didn't sleep for like two or three nights because I'm like, I'm sure it hurt when you hit the bottom. You know? Oh my gosh! I've, I believe it should happen. Yeah. Um, I believe it could happen. Uh huh. Um, but now I've got to take a step of faith and give it a shot and see. Hey, I, I got to live under the conviction it will happen. 
Uh-huh. So this is kind of like the Indiana Jones moment, the leap of faith into the chasm, right? Now, this is what I want to speak to because it's so funny. People ask me all the time, uh, when you started the church, what was your backup plan? What what would you what were you going to fall back on? And I always tell people, if you have a ba- stand-up comedy for him, I'm sure. Backup plan. You're not fully committed to what God's called you to do. I see. And which biblical text says that if you have a backup plan, you're not fully committed to what God wants you to do? I'm not familiar with that text. I mean, here you've you're basically making a hard and fast law. And it sounds so pious, too. You know, if you have a backup plan. Well, let's think about this for a second here. Um, how many of you uh, listening to Fighting for the Faith have health insurance or a life insurance policy? Um, okay, yeah, and you're perfectly healthy at the moment, right? Well, isn't a health insurance plan a backup plan for, like, when things go wrong in your life well see because you have health insurance or you have life insurance you aren't trusting god yeah yeah see it doesn't work does it yeah all of a sudden if you've got a backup plan it's become a sin or maybe it's only a sin if you have a backup plan uh when it comes to jumping out of you know jumping off of a cliff and you know and doing the vision casting thing but see then again i'm not familiar with any texts that teach this uh, ecclesiastical technique so how is he so sure that if you have a backup plan, you're not serious about what God is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, we continue. Yeah. Um, backup plans are for people that don't have faith. Mm, so you, you're just not saved if you have a backup plan. I mean, you're probably going to hell. Um, backup plans are for people who will not take God at his word. Uh-huh. And by take God at his word, you mean direct revelation, not something that's actually written in the biblical text, right? Backup plans are for people who try to play it safe rather than follow the one who wound up at a place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. Yeah, because that just proves Jesus was the ultimate risk taker, dude. And how'd that work out for him? And I don't know how in the world we got the place of the skull is going to lead us to safety and predictable and, fun, you know, always awesome environments. And so I just realized, you know what, I've got to go make this happen. A friend of mine shared with me a quote um, by Walter Isaacson. He's the author of the biography, St- Steve Jobs. And he says this, he said, vision without execution is hallucination. Mm-hmm. Vision without execution is it's hallucination. Yeah, and uh, I don't think that's actually found in the biblical text. I didn't. I don't think the guy who wrote the biography of Steve Jobs. I didn't think he was one of the apostles. Is he one of the apostles? Um, anybody can have a vision, but sooner or later, it comes down to the point of, you know what? I'm I'm jumping off this cliff, and we're going to give it a shot. And if it works, it works. But it's I'm not going to live the rest of my life wondering what if. For you, um, so Jason mentioned, or he said that you were just waiting on you, and you said for the next two or three nights you didn't sleep, worrying, you know, thinking about it. Uh, what could you tell the leaders that are listening that may be in that same kind of window of time? They believe it, it could happen. Uh, they know that there's some people, you know, looking for them to take the first step. What could you do or say to encourage the listener out there, what put you over the edge? What made you say, you know what, I'm just going to have to have that faith and do it? Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say that never goes away. I'm in the middle of that right now. I'm in the middle of a vision. So the proof that it's truly a vision is that it just doesn't go away. I mean, if it's something nagging you and keeping you up at night, that's proof, proof that this is from God. Mm -hmm. Which text in the Bible says that again? Where I've looked at something and said, well, you know, it, it should happen. Okay. It could happen. 
okay, it will happen. Like it, it's a phase I think you continually go through if you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. But if you're one of those people that you're stuck between phase two and phase three. Yeah. Are, are you stuck between phase two and phase three? Again, uh, why should I follow these phases uh, just because Perry Noble had some kind of an experience that, you know, there were these kind of phases that go along with it. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what most people wait on is 100% confirmation from God. Mm, yeah. And you're not going to get it. Like, you're not going to get the angel in your closet. So you're waiting for 100% confirmation. So you feel like the thing that is you know, laying heavy on your heart could be from God, the Holy Spirit. But you're not exactly sure. So you've got to go through these four phases, you know, of the vision thing. And uh, and so, you know, you're, but of course, you're not going to get 100% confirmation. So you just got to take the leap of faith. Again, where does God's word say this? I mean... I'm a pastor, and I don't recall uh, reading in any of the pastoral epistles that uh, this is some kind of steps that I should be going through in receiving a vision from God or anything of the sort. Um, but you you might if you drink drink enough wine. You uh, but you, you're not going to get, um, uh, you know, the Bible verse that highlights itself in your Bible. Um, those things. And listen, yeah, they're probably not going to happen. Leaders have to make decisions with about 55% of the information. Um, and if God told you everything that was going to happen in your life over the next three years, it wouldn't be a step of faith. Uh, again, this sounds so pious. Where does it say I'm supposed to receive direct revelation from God for these things? Um, anytime, I've just, one, of the, one of the things we say around here at New Spring all the time is following Jesus is about taking your next step. And so your next step as a leader if it's just to trust God at his word and do what he says, um, that's what you're going to have to do. And then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again. Yeah, notice, you know what's missing in this entire thing? I mean, how many biblical passages has Perry Noble exegeted to give us these four phases that are essential for effective vision? Answer, not, I don't recall him exegeting any biblical passages to back any of this up, but he sure has exegeted his life, hasn't he? So just because this is his life experience, why should this be binding on me and I should follow in Perry Noble's footsteps and just ignore what God's Word actually says in the written Bible, you know? I mean, that's, ends. no, that's, you've got to get to that point where you're like, you know what, we're going to do this. I'm, it will happen. That's good. Uh, all right. Well, that really takes us to the final phase. Tell us about phase four. Phase four um, is the phase where we say, come help me make it happen. So we've gone through four phases. We've gone through phase one. It should happen. Phase two, it could happen. Phase three, it will happen. Phase four is come help me make it happen. Now, keep this in mind. Everybody that is invited and you know, you decides to accept the invitation to come make this vision happen, they're all led to believe that this vision is directly from God. So if you question them or challenge what the vision casting leader is saying or has said, um, then who who are they going to think you're in league with, God or the devil? They're going to think you're in league with the devil and that you're challenging whom? Well, God himself. Um, This is where the leader actually asks other people um, to come on board. They're able to articulate the problem they're trying to solve 
and they paint compelling pictures as to why people or groups of people need to come along um, and dive all in. So that's where that's phase four is, hey, um, this is my plan. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And I want you to, to fully buy into this thing and help us do it with everything you've got. So what's the what's the best way for someone to ask people to get involved? So here's here's the thing, and I I kind of learned this. Um, I wish I could say I was this smart. As I look back, it's just the way it happened, and I didn't mean to do it. So he learned this via you know, trial and error, you know, in in his life experiences. And this is, I mean, you know, he wants all pastors to you know, benefit from his life experiences so that they too can jettison what God's word says regarding the pastoral office and its duties and what uh, pastors are supposed to be doing. And you come along with Perry Noble, who is proven that he's truly a man of God because of how successful he is, because everybody knows numerical growth always proves that that means that God is behind what you're doing, right? I mean, keep in mind, Islam is growing faster than Christianity. Does that mean that it's true? Um, it just happened that God's hand of protection was on me. Um, the, the phases of vision, I feel like are pretty laid out. Like you can't go from it should happen to come help me make it happen. Because if you do that, you're going to skip it. You're going to, you're going to skip. It could happen. Whereas, yeah, again, where are these phases laid out? You haven't shown me where they're laid out in God's word. And I don't think you could, if you tried. Is where you actually do the research, where you actually read, where you actually lay a strong foundation, you skip phase three where you're going to do this. Like that's the conviction phase. I'm going to do this if I'm the only person in the world that does it and I lose my life doing it, I'm going to do it. So if you skip those two phases and you go, it should happen, come help me make it happen, then what you'll have is a bunch of idealists and dreamers who aren't willing to pay the price. Can I stop you right there? Because I know you and I talk to a lot of church planners, a lot of people starting new things, and I feel like that's a common thing we see that they go from one to four. Yeah. Um, so what would you said it pretty strongly right there? But but just let's give a word of caution to the leaders that are listening. How important it is phase two and notice he said leaders. He didn't say pastors. Big difference. Phase three not be left out. Yes. So I mean. Some guys, and I don't question their passion, but they'll go to a conference and they'll walk away from that conference going, well, that's what we need to do. We, we, need, we need to go start a church. And it's a bunch of guys who really do love Jesus, um, but who just want to start a church. They have no idea about um, bylaws, 501c3, health care, bank, their Bible, bank accounts, um, sound doctrine, um, and people go, well, the church historic Christian doctrine, church in a business. Well, tr- try to pay somebody and them not claim it on their taxes and watch how quick the government gets involved in your church. I mean, it's if you have a checking account, you have a business. Um, but so many guys will jump in. And, and so looking back, what we did when we started our church is we did all the research in that phase. Uh when I say we, me, um, I did all the research. Like I was like, well, this is what it's going to take to get a 501c3. And this is how we set this up. And this is how we set that up. So whenever I, whenever I got to the point where I was telling people, come help me make it happen, I had way more answers than I did questions. So when people would say, well, what are we going to do about this? Well, this is where we're going to meet. Mm-hmm. Well, what time's our service going to be? We're going to do one service at 10 o'clock. 
well, what, what are we going to do about our parking? We're going to ask everybody to park. I mean, we, we had answers because we'd gone through these phases. So when you're asking somebody to come help me make it happen, especially don't miss this, when you're asking people to contribute um, financially but you can't answer the basic questions, that motivates no one to give. It motivates no one to volunteer. You know, I mean, you, you've got to. This is an exercise. Here's the other thing, Shane. This is hard work. Yeah. This is hard work. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, I read this the other day. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers, the people willing to to put in the effort behind the scenes to make it happen. Yeah, actually, I think it. I don't think Jesus was talking about people working behind the scenes necessarily there to make a vision happen. So you, you kind of got the idea here. So there's four phases that are essential for effective vision, and not a single phase was actually backed up from God's word. So the question is out there on the table. Let me restate the question. Why should I, as a pastor, abandon what God's word says regarding the biblical office of pastor and its duties and instead graft in, if you would, or abandon what God's Word says and, and go with this new ecclesiastical model that teaches me that I need to be receiving a vision from God and believing it can happen and getting to the point where it's going to happen and go through these phases and then getting everyone behind the vision and stuff like that. Why should I abandon what God's Word says to go after this? Is it just because Perry Noble has a large church? Is that the reason why? Since when did having a large church make it so that his words, Perry Noble's words, are have greater weight than the words of Scripture? I mean, I, I, I can't think that Perry Noble, just because Perry Noble has a multi-site church in South Carolina with so many tens of thousands of people showing up every week, that somehow that means that his words are are better words than the words of the Bible. That doesn't make any sense. In fact, everything he said right here, I mean, this none of it's biblical. None of it actually jives with the office of pastor that is laid out for us in Scripture. This is something completely different, and I don't care if 10 million people show up every week to multi-site campuses across the world to be a part of what Perry Noble's doing. That doesn't mean that his words are greater than Scripture's words and that I should, as a pastor, abandon what God's Word says and chase after this new ecclesiastical model and these bizarre, never-before-seen techniques regarding effective vision. You see what I'm saying. All right. We're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to go to Audacious Church and hear a sermon about being blessed to, uh, well, increase or something like that. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean midichlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Hey, have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. And well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Audacious Church. They're very audacious. Out there in Manchester in the United Kingdom, Mark Foster presiding. The name of the sermon we'll be listening to from Mark is entitled Blessed for Increase. Blessed for Increase. And let's just say that this sermon begins with a Bible twist, you know, kind of exegetical squirrel fashion. So um, let me go ahead and kill the music, and we'll get right into our sermon. So without any further ado, here is Mark Foster from Audacious Church and his sermon entitled, Blessed for Increase. Here we go. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let's make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase. Everyone just say, increase. Increase. 
Yeah, you know, other translations they say be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, uh, the the command here, and this, by the way, is a command prior to the fall of man. Uh, you know, so man's got a job to tend to the earth and care for the creeping things, and uh, you know, tend, you know, and basically, you know, manage the earth. And one of the commands is here. Actually, you can kind of rephrase this as have lots of babies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be fruitful and multiply, or be fruitful and increase, is referring to procreation. Yeah, you know, husbands, wives, the birds and the bees kind of stuff here. Be fruitful and increase in number. God bless them. He said, be fruitful and increase. We're speaking today on blessed for increase. I'm- squirrel, squirrel. <laughs> See, there's the exegetical squirrel right there. I mean, no sooner does he read the text that says, you know, you know, he blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, talking about having babies. And now he says, hey, look, we're going to be talking about blessed for increase. And he just changed the subject. Uh, squirrel! So, yeah, that's what we're looking at here. I believe that every single person in this room has the ability to receive increase from God. We're all on the... Yeah, receive increase. You mean have babies, right? The planet, we're all here. We're at the same point today with a power of choice and able to receive what God has for us. And God has increase for every person. We're going to get... You mean God has babies for every person? Is that what you mean? Because that's what the text is talking about, you know. Into that this morning. But before we do, I go to the gym a few times a week and I enjoy going to the gym. Yeah, I mean, one minute, 30 seconds into this. One minute, 30 seconds. And it doesn't start well, which means there's no way it's going to end well. No way whatsoever. I mean, so if you find yourself in you know, your favorite big box evangelical-ish type church and uh, right after the worship set and you're finally able to sit down and you know they and, and this is what the pastor does just politely excuse yourself and get out of there because you know the the man doesn't know how to rightly handle God's word it doesn't matter how cool the smoke machine and the light show and the lasers were or how rocking and hip the band was or how messed up the hair of the praise band leader was um, yeah, it uh, just none of that matters a hill of beans. If the pastor can't rightly handle God's word, you got to get out of there quick. Uh, you don't want to be seduced to stick around in a place where you're going to be fed false doctrine and subject yourself to a steady diet of Bible twisting. Jim, how many people go to the gym on a regular basis? Quite a few people. At the gym, you'll notice this kind of whatever gym you go to, I've noticed the same people are there. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's the same at weddings. If you go to a wedding, there's always those people you don't quite know, but they're at every wedding you go to. Has anyone ever noticed that? Sometimes I just feel like I'm on the Truman Show or something. All right? If you're watching at home, I've busted you. I notice you're all wearing different advertising. What's going on? And some of you at different times are in front of the camera. Am I in the Truman Show right now? This is scary. Mike. Where was I? At the gym, that's where I was. And uh, you'll notice there's kind of the cardio crew. They're just on the treadmill half an hour, bike for half an hour. They're just nice, 
traditional workout and then they, they're gone. On the other side of the gym, you've got the resistance crew. Do you see the resistance crew? They're, they've got their smart dresses. They just wear like everything's got a swoosh on it from head to toe. Even their eyebrows are in the shape of a swoosh. <laughs> Between every set, just a few texts leaning on, you know, and, they, and then they're back on doing another set. These guys are sharp. They're cool cats. And, uh, but the resistance crew and the cardio crew never meet. They don't talk to each other. They just get on with their own crew. But then there's two crews that kind of go between. They're just totally oblivious to these gym rules. The first one's just a social club. They're just there for a laugh. And they always come with their mate. They start the induction with their mate. They work out with their mate every single day. And they're pretty much just in for a laugh. You know, they fall off the treadmill and they're just laughing, having been concussed for three minutes. It's just really funny. You know, on the stepper, they fall off that. Everything's a joke. And then the last crew, like old school. These guys are old school. They've been working out since 1942. And they've been doing the same routine since 1942. Every exercise they do is now banned from gyms because it's so bad for you. And yet they will stick to their exercise that they started in 1942. You can tell they're old school because they sweat profusely. And they walk past and they've got no social kind of etiquette in terms of spatial. I have no idea what this has to do with Genesis chapter 1. I'm, yeah, we are at this point off-roading mentally, spiritually, I mean, even linguistically. We're in the middle of nowhere at this point. Awareness. So a brisk pass to you, you're just soaked with their sweat and they're breathing heavily. You get a face full of saliva. That's the old school. I'm obviously none of those, don't fit into those four groups of people um, but that's the, that's the gym but what I love about the gym is the gym's tangible you can see and expect results you know if you're going good or you're going bad because you know how much weight you're lifting you know how far you're running you know how long you're on a certain piece of equipment and your response to that the gym's good because you know if you're doing bad but you know if you're doing really well thinking about this series blessed it can sometimes feel so ethereal. It's just out there, oh, oh, yeah, I feel blessed, brother. But what does that actually mean? I feel like blessed, blessed, the blessing of God actually should be tangible and real in our lives. It's not just this out there feeling, though. I feel blessed, brother. So you feel that the blessings of God should be outward and tangible in our lives. Therefore, your feelings rise to the level of Christian doctrine so much so that this is what you're going to preach on on a Sunday morning? Hmm. Since when did your thoughts and your feelings or your experiences become Christian doctrine? The job of the pastor, by the way, according to Scripture, is to preach the Word. That's one of his tasks, primary task. Um, you already failed in that task by twisting God's Word in Genesis 1. So, um, okay, so you feel, you know, these blessings need to be tangible. Well, the, the tangible blessings referred to in Genesis chapter 1, they are very tangible. They're called babies. Yeah, that's the tangible blessing that the text you went to is talking about. And everyone else is like, I can see nothing different about your life. I think the blessing of God should actually make a real difference. The other people who maybe don't even know Jesus, look at your life. And they've been with you on a journey over time and seen how you were, but now they see how you are. And they say, there's got to be something different. 
again, these are your thoughts and your feelings. Um, could you show me a biblical text? I can think of a couple of them that kind of come close, but there's a little bit of a tweak in the difference, but come close to the concept that you're trying to convey. It's got to be something real about this God that you worship because I've seen your life before him and now I've seen your life with him and there is something real about the blessing that you talk about. Mm, you know, Muhammad Ali, um, he, what, was it, what was his name before he became a Muslim? Was it Cassius Clay? Yeah, his life experienced radical life transformation after he discovered Islam. Should we think then, therefore, that Islam is true? There's a lot of people who've gotten clean and sober by becoming Mormons, Glenn Beck being one of them. Should we therefore think that Mormonism is true? Yeah, this is a very, very slippery argument. In fact, you know, there's all different kinds of ways in which people kind of clean up their lives and they go from being in bondage to a particular habit or sin to experiencing some kind of transformational management uh, of that sin so that they're no longer in the state that they were. Um, you know, and should that does that mean that whatever they use to find the solution there, whether it be Buddhism, Islam, you know, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, that the, the, all of those things that the, the religious ideas behind them are true? Hmm. God has blessed us in our lives for increase in our lives. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. So okay, so you've twisted Genesis 1, the, the thing about making babies, and turned that into increase. And now we're going to Matthew 12. Got it. Just turn kind of two-thirds of the way through your Bible in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. 25, sorry. And we're going to read a story that Jesus spoke about, a parable. It was a, a story illustrating a truth of God. And so we're going to read that right now in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money. That's a measure of money. He gave five talents of money to another two talents and to another one talent. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work, and he gained five more. Uh... After the long, a long time, the master his servant returned, settled accounts with him, and the man who had received five talents brought back the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. Verse 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to now put you in charge of many things. Come also and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two. Yeah, now normally we don't hear this much Bible from, uh, you know, mega churches. Um, so I'm glad we're hearing a lot of Bible here. But the question is, what does it mean? That's kind of the question that's on the table. And the way he's set this up, I'm pretty confident we're not going to hear what it means correctly. Two more. Master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here it is, what belongs to you. You wicked and lazy 
servant. You wicked and lazy servant. I got three men who started out and they were given trust property from their master. To one, he gave them five bags of money, five talents of money. To the next, two talents of money. And to the third man, just one talent of money. Look in the story, you think, why did one get five and one get two and one get one? The Bible tells us it was in accordance to their ability. You think they all started out with different amounts. How's that fair? Looked a little bit deeper to see that actually these guys were servants and their master at the top of the story tells us he came and he gave them something. They started out this story with exactly the same as one another. The first man started out with absolutely nothing. He was a servant. He didn't own anything. The second man equally had nothing and the third equally had nothing. And then the story goes on and it says the master came and he gave the first man five, the second man two, and the third man just one. Every single person started out this story with nothing. Except they had their past experiences. What? <laughs> you know, actually, this, <laughs> this parable doesn't say anything about their backstory. So we have no clue. <laughs> we have no clue if, like, you know, the servant number one, if, you know, he owned anything. I mean, it, for him to make this, well, they all started off with nothing. That's not exact. That's not even like the point of the parable. By the way, the point of the parable is faith in Christ. I'll I'll explain it in a second. But I mean, I'm just listening in at the moment and marveling at the uh, creativity of interpretation that we're hearing without any real warrant in the text. Except they had their life story. They had their they had their life story. Yeah, see, they, all of these servants, they had nothing except for their life story. Where is their life story mentioned in this text? Which, which thing symbolizes their life stories? Said they had their responses to things that had happened in their life previously. Each one of these men had their own mindset. Each one of these one, men had their attitude. And they also, every single one of them, had the most powerful thing we have, the power of choice. What is he doing? <laughs> it's he's freewheeling at this point. I mean, he's rolling his own theology and smoking it. It's what is going on here? <laughs> and they all had their free choice. Hi. Or as the uh, the folks here in North Dakota like to say, oofta. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's t- take a look at this text. I get funny. I'm going to be preaching on this this Sunday. Anyway, yeah, this is the assigned text in the lectionary. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Whose property? His property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, another one. To each according to his ability. So think of it this way. It's kind of a handicapping system. You ever played golf and, you know, and enough where you had a handicap? Handicapping makes it possible so that golfers of different uh, ability can compete against each other. That's kind of the idea, you know, so you take into consideration the handicap. So there's, there's a handicapping system going on here based upon their ability. 
He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them, made five talents more. Notice that there's no command here. He's just, they're given their, the pastor gives his property. You know, here's, uh, here's, you know, five talents for you, three for you, and one for you, right? Okay, and and so the the first guy just goes out and, you know, he starts trading with it. He's putting his master's stuff to work. And which tells you something about his relationship with the master. He thinks the master's good. He has faith in the master. And by the way, this is not something I'm imposing on the text. I know the punchline. Okay. So, but he who had received, okay. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it, dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now the question is, why would you do that? Well, it has everything to do with what he thinks about the master. So now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. Notice there's joy in in seeing the master. They think well of him, right? Okay, so and so his master says, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." Now he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, "Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed." Whoa, where did that come from? You really, you think the master's a hard man? Uh-huh. No faith in the master. Distrust of the master, right? So, so I was afraid. He's afraid of the master. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. And his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh-huh. This is about faith in Christ. Yes, is anyone saved by their works? No. This is talking about faith. And you'll see the two servants here that uh, thought well of the master. They really had faith in him. They they trusted him. They weren't afraid of the master. They believed the best of him. While the other one hated the master, really. And, and you know, that's what's coming through. So this is... This is the the point of this passage. It's about faith in Christ for forgiveness, for salvation. We continue. Every single one of us right now has got different paths. We've got different responses. But every single one of us starts today, sat in our seat with one of the most powerful things we have, the power of choice. Today you can choose your future. Today you can choose how you go forward into your future. And every one of these men... Yeah, this has nothing to do with free choice of the future. Unless you're talking about the future in either heaven or hell. And that comes down to a matter of faith. And faith itself is a gift given by God. Yeah, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says that. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, so that no one may boast. What's the gift? No, salvation and faith. Faith itself is a gift. And whatever they were given, they started with the power of choice. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 7 that we came into the world with nothing and will also leave with absolutely zip. Come in with nothing, leave with nothing. In other words, the Bible is instructing us, whatever God gives to us, hold it lightly. The man with one could have looked down the line and saw his neighbor with two talents. He could have looked at the other neighbor on the other side and saw he had five talents. I mean, would somebody buy this man a set of good commentaries, please? The Bible's clear. Every one of them started with nothing. We've got to make sure when we're thinking about being blessed, being favored, being prospered for increase, that that doesn't become our hope. We don't put our hope in being increased. We don't think, God, I'm here because I want your increase. We all have nothing, came into the world with nothing, and we all leave with nothing. So before we even ask God for increase in our lives, recognize that that is not a carrot on the stick that God dangles and says, if you want to follow me, I can give you increase. Our hope should never be in what God is able to do for us. Our hope should be in who God is to us. The studied lottery winners over years. and you- Yeah, I have no idea what they're plotting for because he hasn't told them anything correct about what this parable means. You would have seen the big stories are the ones of big lottery winners who fritter everything away. Everything they win goes and they, they just end up, their life is a bigger mess than it was before they won the lottery. But probably more interestingly, on the general scheme of things, they've studied over a period of time and seen that lottery winners of all stages, different winners, before their happiness, before they won, their happiness after they won. The people that have won amounts of money and said from their perspective that their happiness has returned to a normal level from before they won that amount. For a short time, sure, they were in the exhilaration of the moment. Wow, we've just won. This is going to change our lives. But over a period of time, their happiness returns to the level of their, of their life, of who they are. Yeah, I have no idea how lottery winners plays into correct exegesis of the parable of the talents. And the way they see things. See, anything that happens in our life, whether good or bad, our happiness, our contentment should not be in those things. Our contentment is a choice we make today that I am blessed, I am favored, I am prosperous, and I make a decision to be thankful every day. Whether your computer's working or it's not, we're going to give thanks. Second thing I noticed about this story, 16 to 18, it talks about the return that each one of these men gave to the one who had five, two, and one. Each one brought back a certain amount. The man with five brought back five more. So he returned to his master ten talents, amounts of money. The guy with two brought four back. But the, one, the guy with one just brought one back. Dusted it off, cleaned it off, and brought the thing that he had been given returned to it back. 
Why did these guys double and yet the third man who was just given one just returned the very thing he'd been given? It has to do with his view of the master. We already established this. Maybe it was because he looked down the line. And he looked at No, nothing in the text would indicate that he was looking down the line and comparing that what he received compared to the other guys. The text specifically states he thought poorly of the master. That was his problem. And Jesus, by the way, is the master of this parable. This guy who had two and the guy who had four and thought it's all right for them. That guy's got five. He can he can afford to risk it with one or two. He'll still have stuff left. Me, all I've been given is one. And he was so focused on what everybody else was doing. Yeah, where's this dialogue found in the parable? Answer, it's not. And on what everybody else had in their life, they wasn't able to take and do anything with that which God had entrusted to him. Comparison will kill you. If you're always looking at the person to your left and right, if you're always looking what everybody else has and what every, everybody else's ability is and everybody else's influence is, you'll never take what God has given you and cause it to increase. Compa- yeah, this is utter nonsense. This is not in this parable at all. It's, I mean, it's not even like a tertiary potential point the parable's making. It's not making this point at all. Harrison will kill you. Maybe it was just that he had a stingy mindset. The Bible tells us that he took that thing and instantly took it away and buried it in the ground, covered it over, hid it. Why are you saying maybe it was a stingy mindset? The text says specifically why he did what he did. You don't even have to guess. The parable that Jesus told, Jesus actually explained why the guy did it. It had nothing to do with a stingy mindset or suffering by comparison to the other people. Why are you sticking these things into this text? They're not there. And just sat on the thing that God, that his master had given to him. It's a stingy mindset. It was a fear mindset. Why something happens to what God's given to me, I'm not going to try anything. I'm not going to step out. I'm not going to do anything because it might leave. It might go. I might end up with absolutely nothing. It's this small mindset, this small thinking that kept him from actually stepping out and doing something. The most amazing thing to me is in verse 24, when the master returns and he looks at the guy who brings just the one talent back and he asks him, why is it that one man brings that was given five and yet he brings ten back. Why is it that the guy I gave two to, two to, Desmond, <laughs> why, why, why is it that this guy brought four back? I only left him with two. Why is it that this guy, you, why is it that you're just bringing the very thing I gave you, returning that thing back to me? And the guy with one responds in verse 24. The man who received the one talent said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. Right, and now the text says why. You don't need that other stuff because that other stuff has nothing to do with what the text says. That was his response. It's all right for you, Master. Have you got all the resources at your disposal. You're just on your jollies, going away, leaving us to do the hard work. 
you're just having a good time for a few months, coming back, returning us, expecting us. When you've been just doing what you do in your ivory tower and you're expecting us to come back with more than you gave to us. It's all right for you. You just leave stuff and expect it to come back even greater than what you left it. You expect the gift and talents that you invest to come back with a return on that investment. We're on the shop floor here. We're the ones doing the graft. We know how. Yeah, this sounds like the complaint that you would hear from like labor unions against, you know, the capitalists or something. How hard it is. This guy's complaint was when you sow something, you see a harvest from that thing without even doing anything about it. You reap a reward without even putting your, your hand to the metal. What's the phrase? I don't know. You know what I mean. Yeah. It's all right for you. And yet this very complaint that this man with one talent had was the kingdom of God. The fact that we're able to reap where we've not even sown, we're able to see a harvest where we've not even tried. Yeah, um, wow. Um, this not talking about reaping a harvest of like financial gain here, dude. Oh boy. Uh. That is the very kingdom of God that's available for every single one of us who believe. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 26. I show you in the Old Testament and in the New. Verse 3 of Leviticus 26. Yeah, Leviticus 26 is a promise to the children of Israel if they keep the Mosaic covenant. Mm -hmm. We're under the new covenant. Six, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops, and the trees of the field their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want, and you will live safely in your land. Verse 9. I will look on you with favor and I'll make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my... Who was God talking to? The children of Israel. He wasn't talking to Christians. This is Old Covenant. This is Mosaic Covenant. My covenant with you. You will be still eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out and make room for the new. You're still going to be eating last year's harvest. You've not even had time to sow seed for a new harvest. When you're going to see a new harvest come in, are you going to be thinking, well, we've got to get rid of this old harvest because bring on the new. That's the kingdom of God for everybody who believes. John chapter... Yeah, no, again, you're taking an old covenant, Mosaic covenant promise that's hinging upon their obedience to the covenant and somehow making it a, a general promise that applies to Christians in the new covenant. Yeah, you're, you're making a huge error there, dude. We continue. Chapter 4 and verse 35. Quickly turn there. Uh, don't say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life so that sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, yeah, Notice crop uh, harvest for eternal life. This is, called, this is a harvesting of souls. This is not a harvesting of money and you know, influence and things temporal. This is not what Jesus is talking about there. 
the sowing, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap where you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. That's the kingdom of God available to every single one of us. That God powerfully through his spirit is able to bring to us a harvest where we've not even sown. No, this again, you're making that into money and stuff. That's not what's being talked about here. Just like in Genesis 1, it's talking about babies. Some of you thinking, is that true? Well, just look at your life. I know for me, I've harvested in areas that I did not deserve. I had done nothing to deserve that relationship, that friendship. I had done nothing to deserve that level of influence. And yet God has caused me to reap a harvest in an area I did not do anything about. It's called the grace of God. It's called the kingdom of God. And this man's complaint, this man who had a victim mindset, it's all right for everybody else. They've got resources. They've got what they need. Their life was way better than me. That very mindset stopped them from receiving the very thing he was complaining about. Um, it doesn't say that he complained about those things. You just stuck that in the text. It's not there. Looking at the master saying, you reap where you haven't even sown. And God so disappoints saying, I've got that for you. If you would just embrace what I want to do in your life. I believe that every one of us is blessed for increase. God is able to give more to you. God is able to bring more influence into your world. The parable of the talents is not about God bringing more influence into the world or your world. This is, I mean, this is just ridiculous. God is able to bring better quality relationships. He's able to... The parable of the talents isn't about God bringing better quality relationships to you either. Strengthen you in every way. God is able to bless and favor you with strength, with quality, and with number. I don't know what this guy is talking about. Blessed for increase. Verse 21 and verse 23 in the story. The master replies to the guy who brings five, brings ten back, and the guy that brings four back. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Came to the guy with one, and it didn't say... You're so faithful with your one, you've brought it back to me. We know his faithfulness is not returning what God has given to you. Faithful is taking what God has given to us and working it, doing something with it, bringing God a return on his investment. God has gifted every single one of us in unique ways. Now, in, what, in some sense, what he's saying is actually correct. But he's gifted us to go out, develop that gift, do something with it, and cause it to accomplish greater results. For the kingdom, for the kingdom is what we should be hearing here. Uh. John chapter 4 and verse 12, Jesus' own words to his disciples. His words would be the same to us today. I've called you for even greater things, referring to the things that he had accomplished in his life. God has greater things in store for you. He's expecting out of his investment into your life 
depositing the Holy Spirit into your life that's a guarantee of your future inheritance. Depositing a gift and a talent into your life. Others of you depositing a resource into your life. He's expecting a return on his investment. He's expecting that you would take that thing and you would do something with it. That you would develop that gifting. You would develop that calling. And you would run fast with it knowing that you've been blessed for increase in your life. Every one of us here is Manchester United fan. And the greatest footballer on the planet, Cristiano Ronaldo, is coming back. He's coming back. Oh, I feel that. Ronaldo, his trainer at Manchester United said Ronaldo was a natural talent. He'd been gifted with a talent, but he was a rough diamond. And he crammed, but he crammed in thousands of hours of graft to turn himself into the perfect player. He didn't sit on his gift and just assume, oh, well, I'm gifted. Everything's going to happen for me. He grafted. I want to ask you a question. What's your gift graft ratio like? What's your gift-to-graft ratio like? Oh, man. This is so awful. Good night. Have you just assumed that because God's given you, he's going to open doors and make things happen? Or are you someone that says, no, I'm going to take what God's given to me and I'm going to develop that gift. I'm going to do research. I'm going to put myself uh, in in an environment for growth. I'm going to not just rely on God's gifting on my life, but I'm going to graft to make this thing powerful, to make this thing effective for the kingdom of God and see God do greater things through my life because my revelation is God is a God who's blessed me for increase. Blessed for increase. Maybe you're hearing your gift is high, but your graft is low and you're in a place of presumption, just believing that God's going to drop off everything on your lap. The encouragement today, take what... Yeah, talk about presumption. I mean, this guy is ex- engaging in exegetical presumption beyond all belief. What God has given you. And don't bury it in the ground. Don't return to God what he gave you, but take it and develop it. Do something with it. Maybe your graft is high, but you're seeing no opportunities open. Maybe God hasn't graced or gifted you for that area. And there's some other area, there's some other gateway of opportunity that God has gifted you for. Step into that area. Take your work ethic with you and see what God wants to do through your life. Every one of us is blessed for increase. Where are you pitching at right now? Where are you performing at right now? Where's your mindset at right now? Where's your influence at right now? You're blessed for increase. Yeah, I'm blessed for increase. You're apparently blessed for increase. Talk about missing the point. Do people even read anymore? I mean, whew, we continue. But consider the alternatives. You're blessed for maintenance or you're blessed to be reduced. I think we'd all agree that God has increased for every single one of us. God wants to increase your influence. He wants to increase your wisdom. He wants to increase your resource. He wants to increase you. Tonight we're going to look at why. Why would God want to increase? Yeah, again, the parable of the talents is not about that. It's our lives. Many of us here, you may think, I've heard all this blessing and 
prosperity and favour stuff before. And you, to you it just conjures up a negative uh, reaction. Maybe there is elements of truth where this truth of God, blessing, blessing for increase, prosperity and favour, maybe there are situations where it's been misapplied or overemphasized. Maybe you look at the Bible and read stories of the No, it's just a false doctrine straight up. The Bible and think, well, I've just seen people ble- being blessed and wanting an increase in their life, and, and God pulled it down in Genesis ch- chapter 11. All the ambition and influence and drive. And we saw them build this amazing tower, believing that they were blessed for increase, and yet God pulled it down to pieces. You'd be right. But the issue in these areas was never the increase. The issue was the intent. The issue in your life is not the blessing, the increase, the the favor, the prosperity. That's not the issue to God. The issue to God is always... Again, notice the sappy music there. That is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the auditorium, getting ready to do business with people, you know, so they make make decisions. So apparently the people there at um, Audacious Church in Manchester are, are, you know, God the Holy Spirit is showing up and asking the question, do you want me to bless you so that, yeah, to to increase? (sighs) The heart is always the motive. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Yeah, Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel has nothing to do with the parable of the talents. Reveals that when it tells us that these men building this tower were not building to the glory of God, but they were building to the glory of man. They wanted people to look at them and say, wow, you are amazing. No, just receive that. So the only question is, is the increase that you're believing God for Is the increase going to glorify God or is it going to nullify the very God that you talk about? That's the only issue. And if you can just get your priorities straight and get your heart right, then God can bless you to increase. This is awful. God has increase for every person who wants to glorify God through their life. God is able to do something amazing with a person whose heart is right to God, who wants to be a person of influence, of great wisdom. Solomon in the Bible made an audacious request. Solomon believed that he was blessed for increase. So he stood up and said, God, would you increase? Yeah, where does it say Solomon believed he was blessed to increase? The story that you're referring to, Solomon was asleep and God came to him in a dream and said, let me ask you anything you want. And God asked for, uh, not God, but Solomon asked for wisdom. You're changing the details of the story to fit your false theology. Bless me. Would you favor me? Would you prosper me with increased wisdom? The Bible says God granted his request. God was pleased with his request. The issue is not the increase. The issue is the intent. God is able to increase you. God is able to bless, favor, and prosper you. 
Let blessing and prosperity and, and favor not be words that cause you to cower back. But just be brave enough to have a pure heart regarding the right use of this increase that you want from God, and then God will give it to you. Again, false doctrine, false theology. And this isn't what the parable of the talents is about at all, nor is it about what Genesis 1 is about either. Check your heart. So God, everything I do and everything I have and everything I do in my future, I want it to cause people to glorify you. And so out of that, God, I can ask you, would you bless me? Would you increase me? Cause me to have a blessing of greater influence on other people. Cause me to have a blessing of a greater impact on other people's lives. When I talk to people, they would just see God through my life. Cause me, God, as Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, to have great effectiveness in producing wealth. Business people, God has given you the ability to produce wealth. It's in the Bible. It's given you gifting and ability to increase in that area. If that's a God gift on your life. Every one of us is gifted in a way. Let's not bury our gift in the ground through a victim mindset, a comparison on everybody else. Let's focus on what God has gifted us to do. Let's do something about it. Let's pick up our gift and get it to work. Do something that makes a difference in other people's lives. Yeah, talking about totally missing the point of the parable of the talents. I mean, we're not even on the same planet, let alone ballpark here. You're blessed for increase. Increase wisdom. Increase mindsets. Increase thinking. Increase ability. Increased investments, increased effectiveness, increased productivity, increased knowledge, increased understanding, increased revelation of who God is, increased family, increased friends, increased opportunities. God has blessed you for increase. The Bible says in Luke 2:52, Jesus grew. Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor with God favor with man jesus yeah let me uh all this increase stuff reminds me of uh, second timothy chapter three understand this paul writing under the inspiration of the holy spirit says in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy heartless unappeasable slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And what uh, <clears throat> what we're hearing here at Audacious Church from Mark Foster well, is fostering a, a love of money that's contrary to Scripture. Yeah, God, the, the Bible doesn't teach the prosperity heresy, even if your motives are pure. Increase in every area of his life. He's got the same for every single person. From the per- person right now in this room who may, may feel on the bottom rung of the world's perspective, of where life operates at, you might be a high achiever in the world's eyes. You could be anywhere on the spectrum of life. You could be in any situation right now. But God, if you're able to receive this, has blessed you 
where you're at right now for increase in your future. God has blessed you for increase in your future. Yeah. Talk about missing the whole point of the parable of the talents. What's the thing that matters? Well, faith in the master. That's the thing that matters. <laughs> and yeah, it's and it's a parable of judgment at the end of the world because when the master returns and there's the accounting thing going on, that's the day of judgment. This parable has nothing whatsoever to do with God wanting to bless you to increase or any such nonsense. It, 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 in fact, this has as much to do with God blessing you for increase as Genesis 1 has to do with the same topic. Genesis 1, the thing he referred to, was about going and making babies. That's what that was about. Wow. So if you find yourself in a church like this, that the pastor cannot handle God's word correctly, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how good the worship experience is or how cool the laser light shows are or how amazingly cinematic the uh, the the next sermon series preview teaser video is if somebody's handling mishandling god's word like this run flee the building a wolf is in charge the devil is who's the one who's in charge of the teaching yeah and all of that other stuff that's all just the candy you know, Hansel and Gretel style that the witch is using to, you know, basically convince you to hop into her oven. Yeah, <clears throat> you get what I'm saying. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. Name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>